From Sandwich Community TV, I'm Manx Techie Magyar, and this is Blindside. The entire audio interviews that I've cut to make my short form video documentaries. In the summer of 2018, I spoke with my friend Joe Richman about his podcast series, Radio Diaries, which he produces and makes in New York City. I met Joe at a mutual Ultimate Frisbee group that he often goes to during the summers on the Cape. He allowed me into his summer home, and we had a long conversation about his history in podcasting. So, we're rolling. So, again, like I said, this kind of be just a casual conversation, and then okay. we might cut it up onto that shorter kind of bit. Yeah. But um, if you want to just kind of start off and introduce yourself, and then what you currently do now. Okay. Yeah, I'm Joe Richman. I'm the founder of Radio Diaries, and we do documentaries for... NPR and for our own podcast, the Radio Diaries podcast. Awesome. And then if you want to now jump way back into how this kind of all came to be, like for schooling, have you always been doing radio stuff this whole time, audio stuff? I, you know, I thought, coming out of college, I actually thought I wanted to do film documentaries. And I was doing some radio work while I was also interning and doing some film documentaries. And there's just a point when I realized two things. Like with film, it takes a lot of money, it takes a lot of like stuff and then with radio I just I I guess I had this one moment where I had bought a tape recorder I was going out and just started interviewing people and no one had assigned me the story it wasn't you know it's just like doing it on my own it was really addictive this like going up and talking to people and like it's cheap it's easy and I think I started just veer away and just um, fall in love with with radio and it's at the same time I started to realize that there was you know, there were documentaries on radio. It wasn't just news. I was finding this, like, new cool stuff, which today in podcasts, everyone has easy access to it. But at that time on, on NPR, it was a little bit harder to find this really adventurous, experimental kind of documentary stuff. Were you doing that? Did you start doing it completely as, like, passion projects? Or was it a, did you, like, have a job that kind of involved it? Or were you I had a like- job. I was actually living in Boston um, at WBUR, and I was doing news. So I was, like, doing news writing and news producing, and I kind of came to, to it through through more of the hard news, and then I started freelancing um, as well. So I had a job and I was also freelance reporting. And as a freelancer, I just started doing stories more and more that were kind of turning the stories over to the, the people in them, you know, turning the stories over to the tape more and trying to get more and more tape in the stories. And that just kind of led me slowly a little bit away from the hard news, more towards features, and then ultimately more towards kind of more documentary mm-hmm. style. And then how did you kind of, what was kind of your next steps involving into something more organized into, uh, like before Radio Diaries, but kind of before that? Yeah, I mean, I was I just kind of, there were a number of years where I was just kind of piecing together a lot of things, like any freelancer independent would. It's like you have some paying jobs, you have some passion jobs, you kind of like, you're making it all work somehow. And I was freelance reporting, which was a terrible way to make money, but it was a great way to, you know, to work on my chops and to produce a lot of stories and, and really discover journalism and radio. So I did that for a number of years. And then in the mid-90s, I started this project called Teenage Diaries, giving people tape recorders to work with them to do stories about their own lives. And I got a grant to do that, and that kind of changed a lot, to all of a sudden have enough money to really sit down with a project over, over a long period of time. And uh, that project got a lot of notice, and it was on NPR over a few years. And that led to us, Radio Diaries, becoming a nonprofit organization. And that's where we are now. So we get grants, and we bring in money so we can do more long-term sorts of projects. 
So I was thinking, yeah, I know the movie Boyhood, and now there's tons of different sort of mm-hmm. documentary kind mm-hmm. of things. How was it to just get a, a lump of money and to kind of almost like trust these kids that are going to yeah. be, that is the content of all your, those, the teenage guys specifically. How was that yeah. feeling? Yeah, Boyhood, I love that film. And if, yeah. I, if I had seen that film before I started doing Teenage Diaries, I would say that would be a big inspiration. <laughs> but what was a big inspiration, I don't know if you know the 7-Up, 28-Up series. Yeah. yeah. And I saw that in college, I think 28 Up maybe I saw in college, and that it blew me away. The, the whole idea of following people over time and seeing you know these kids at 7 and then 14, 21. And I just, I found that so captivating and mysterious and wonderful and that was definitely part of the of the kind of the dna of teenage diaries that and things like uh studs turkle's work oral historian who is a big influence and some other things are kind of like the 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 forefathers of what we did with teenage diaries so did you kind of just believe in the process that like no matter what comes out like the time process is going to be incredible did you kind of just trust that when doing it or were you like nervous about like starting as like is this going to be worthwhile you know 10 years from now yeah i mean i i um you know the the way that the the diaries worked worked then and still work you know we give someone a tape recorder and we train them and i work with them for like maybe three months sometimes a year a couple cases been more than you know two years or so and there's definitely periods i mean some some of them haven't worked you know Mm -hmm. um i gave a tape recorder to a teen runaway one time and he ran away with a tape recorder so there are times when, like, for whatever reason, there are projects that, you know, that just don't don't work out. And mostly it's because of they just kind of lose interest. So part of it is just, like, maintaining my own interest and passion about it, making maintaining theirs. And um, But I do have a fundamental belief that, like, oh, with enough time, with enough tape, with enough attention, you can make pretty much any story into something good. And that's been largely true. Yeah, that's a good point. Hold on, I'm going to just... Close my car windows. Close oh, good. Okay. So we can light, leave everything there right now. Okay. Two That's actually, that's so funny with the, <laughs> how did you feel with like the runaway kid, like giving, and he ran away with the thing, like, ah. I, I should have, um, yeah. Like, it's kind of. It shouldn't have been a surprise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, no, yeah, there are lots of ways that stories don't work. Sometimes stories veer off in directions you didn't think, you know, like you go into a story often with an idea of what it is. And sometimes that works out. Sometimes it's completely different. And sometimes that's really nice when you realize that the story you're doing isn't the story you thought it was you know it has that kind of like sense of surprise and and that's really exciting you had a great quote quote in the other video i remember you saying that like if you know like what's going to happen in the story then there's really no point to be asking the questions for it you know that's the whole point of right like why you go out and do stuff. yeah and there is, there is a style of journalism or a style of of kind of media that is just kind of going out to get the clips that you th- you know so you almost kind of write the story in your head mm-hmm or in the office, and then you go and you get the real-life material. And that's kind of crazy. It's, it's not 
the way that journalism or kind of documentary work is supposed to work. You're supposed to go out into the world and see. So there's, there's, there's a balance between just the efficiency and the like, you know, of making the work, of making life into a story with the kind of discovery of what's out there. I mean, that's what makes it fun, right? You know, you go out into the world and you kind of see what you didn't realize you were going to get. Yeah, what unfolds in front of you. So can you talk a little bit about now your, your current work, like now in Radio Diaries, um, how that goes, even just like a day-to-day -day kind of workflow that you have in the office or working on, like if there's a new story or a new episode? Yeah. Yeah, there are a bunch of things. I mean, we, you know, we do sort of a mix of diaries where we give people tape recorders and work with them over a long period of time. Those are such intense stories. They take a long time. They're kind of draining, <laughs> you know, honestly. Um, so we balance that with a lot of uh, historical documentaries because I love archival tape and I love history. So those are the kind of two primary things we do. We just started a series, um, a story just aired this past week called uh, Last Witness. So it's the stories of people who are like the last survivor of important chapters of history. So we just did one with one of the last people who was on the cruise who bombed Hiroshima, Japan um, in 1945. And then before that we did a young woman who was uh, the last survivor of the Tulsa race riots back in 1921. So people who are sort of like the last connection to a moment in history. And we're doing that. And then we have a story coming up at the end of August about, um, about Vietnam and about a, a race riot in a prison in Vietnam. A lot of people don't even realize that the U.S. military would have prisons for U.S. soldiers who, who had gone AWOL or had you know, stolen things or even worse. And in this prison in, in Vietnam in 1968, the conditions were so bad that there was this big riot um, largely having to do with race. So yeah. we're, we're doing that story for the 50th anniversary in August. Wow, that is awesome. I actually I just listened to the, the Hiroshima one with the, the guy in the mm. airplane. Mm. I was kind of zoning out a little bit with the first one, but I noticed that the guy was on Cape Cod. The first, there was like a two-part story to it. The guy who was a scientist that... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That was the Memory Palace story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. That was interesting. Yeah. Um, but then the one in the airplane, and, and again, like I'm always, I'm very interested with that whole like situation, just because my mother is Japanese, my father is American, yeah. and it's crazy to listen to. The, I mean, the the final quote of the guy when he says he doesn't regret yeah. anything doing that, which yeah. is, it, you know, it kind of makes sense to a lot of right. people. That was intense. Yeah. I think if you do something like that, that's the attitude you have, yeah. especially if you're military. Right, right. And uh, it's interesting. This is just sort of an aside, but you know, doing these stories with last witnesses. They're old, they're sort of at, you know, we, we end up doing a lot of stories with people who are kind of at the end of their life, really. And I think about The Last Witnesses story as kind of like a, like pre-obits, you know, getting people before their obituary, which I love. I love the idea of like celebrating someone while they're still alive. But these people are, you know, he, um, if we'd interviewed him a year earlier, it would have been a different interview. Yeah. Uh, he is just sort of you know, people are kind of winding down just in terms of health and mental abilities. And he was kind of declining a little bit in dementia. And like, just, this is like too insidery, but um, the interview with Olivia Hooker from the Tulsa Race Riots was amazing. She's 103 and it was incredible. Russell Gackenbach, who was 95, his interview um, 
we took, we squeezed every little bit of juice out of that interview, <laughs> you know. Um, so not everyone really has the ability to kind of tell a good story, especially as you get to a certain point in your life. Right, yeah. And that's probably tough with these, this exact project. It's all about like kind of the last... Yeah, I mean, we, I think I, sometimes I feel like we specialize in interviewing people uh, too late, <laughs> you know, or, or finding people, like the number of people we found who would be great interviews, but they died within the, you know, a year earlier. Um, I have a whole folder of those. Oh, geez. So how does that work with dealing with, can you, like, use them or play them? No, it's just, I mean, you know, for the kind of work that we do, you, it's all about, like, interviewing the real person, having that connection to their real story. And so, you know, those stories are lost. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of the inspiration of Last Witness is let's interview people before they are lost, before, before they die, before they're gone, before they are obituaries. And get some of these stories, you know, while people are still around. Yeah, absolutely. I um, I interviewed my Japanese grandfather back mm. in Japan like a couple of years ago, just talking about his. He was just like a teenager during World War II, but just uh-huh. you know, gathering did, these stories. Did he remember the bombings? And... Um, yeah, to some extent, <laughs> my Japanese isn't super great, so it's uh-huh. kind of off and on. With right. Right. But he talked a lot about just um, not as much. The area where he lived in was Central Japan. wasn't really um, affected too much. But his older brother did die during the, the war. Mm-hmm. So that was a big part that affected yeah. his family and stuff like that. Because he was sent down south, and so they died yeah. by an air raid. Um, so that was probably the biggest impact that he had. But he was just talking about how strict it was and all that. But yeah, yeah. I just think it's so important to capture all that stuff. Yeah. Because then they're gone forever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this... Uh, you know that better than anyone. The guy in the plane who bombed Hiroshima, he, um, we really tried to get him to have some sort of reflective thoughts about the victims. Yeah. And he just kind of wouldn't go there, not not necessarily wouldn't because he didn't, partly just because at this point in his life, he has his story and this is what he believes. But um, but yeah, he there wasn't much there in terms of like an acknowledgement of the cost of what he did. Well, I mean, yeah, you said it right almost after the interview, I think around 160,000 people died from the impact. 80,000 died instantly and another 80,000 in the sort of month or so after. Yeah, it's crazy. crazy. It's crazy. It's insane. Um, and so I guess just moving on to more of a bigger idea about radio and all that and, mm. and audio storytelling. Because like you said before, you wanted to get into documentary filmmaking, but there's such a huge process and barrier. I'm just going to tone down this light. With that, um, so some, what makes radio so special for you, especially someone so involved with it? Mm. the audio field yeah I'm a total evangelist for radio I mean I just it's a lot of reasons I think that radio more than any other medium this just slipped down oh, okay. a little bit yeah, I just heard that yeah yeah, yeah those things are <laughs> those things don't work as well for some is it still sticky as far as oh I think the sticky thing is the sticky thing something that oh yeah it came off right here okay yeah I can trash that let me try oh it might it's still sticking to that. Let me try. Here, I'll press it in a little bit better. Here. How's that? Is that, is that right? I think so. Cool. See how that sounds. So, yeah, if you want to go sound back. okay? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, I mean, I'm a total evangelist for radio. I think, you know... More than more than any other medium, radio really like brings listeners there. You know, it's it like it connects us to like places. And but I th- actually think the most the most unique thing about radio is the way that it deals with people. 
you know, I think it's like a real medium for characters and people, and we get to hear how people really talk and think, and we get to know people, I think, in a way that we don't in print or when we see the images, you know, we bring our own biases, that sort of thing. So for me, it's just like this incredible, um, well, it's incredible, like, bullshit detector, really. Like, like, to be able to, like, hear the voice and hear how people talk and hear the authenticity or kind of what's between the lines. Um, I just feel like we get to know people on radio in a way that we don't in any other medium. That's, um, that's the main thing. And then, you know, in radio, we also say that radio has the best pictures. <laughs> and I don't want to, like, start at, you know, like... You know, here I am, <laughs> but um, but uh, there is something about that about like making the listener create their own pictures and kind of you know make them do the own work of that and that. My shirt is better, right? Yeah, I mean, you could do the skin, but sometimes with like guys, the the hair kind of makes it a little tougher. To take off or to stick? Oh, to stick, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, what drew me to radio originally was this idea that you could just go out as one person, you know, um, with a tape recorder and a microphone, go out and talk to people, and it didn't feel as intrusive as having a big camera, but it also was more intimate than just having a pen and paper or something. You're really, like, capturing something. And I got really addicted to that, just, like, going out myself and talking to people. And I think that there is something about the microphone has an ability to capture things in a way that I think is more intimate. Um, people talk about the intimacy of radio, and I think it's a number, you know, there's a number of reasons why, but one is just we don't have all the preconceived kind of images and biases we have when we see a face. And there's just something about a radio kind of gets inside the brain in a way. You know, sometimes when we see things, it's like going through other filters. And when we listen to someone's voice, I think it has the, po the potential of letting us feel it in a way that is deeper than in any other medium. That's my feeling anyway. So I think I'm always drawn to radio as a listener and as a producer. I'm drawn to stuff that is really character-based, like really good characters, and I want to get to know people. And I especially want to get to know people who um, feel, you know, who I wouldn't get to know otherwise, who feel kind of like who I'm surprised by. And I'd like to get to know people who I might think I have certain feelings about or beliefs about, and those get challenged and kind of thrown up in the air. Um, that's what I like as a listener, and that's what I like as a producer, too. And I think radio has this really incredible ability to kind of break down those stereotypes and get to see people as real people. Yeah, no, I, I do a little bit of, uh, me and my friend do a little bit of like interviews and, and mm. a little, kind of a little podcast thing, and it is amazing how much 
more you can get from them without having the cameras, you know, and how much more comfortable they are to talk to you about stuff. You can edit a lot more, too. Yeah, it's true, yeah. And it's just easier, too, and that, that's what's cool. I think the big uh, thing about Radio Diaries is you give with your mono is ordinary people with extraordinary stories. Mm -hmm. Like, you can't have a video crew follow them around, but you can get a microphone and yeah. make that feasible for budgets and yeah. stuff like that. Well, that's another thing. With, with the diaries, the advantages of a microphone are, are huge. It's, like, easier to turn the microphone on yourself than it is a video camera. Yeah. The technology is just more forgiving, you know, it's easier to get good sound than good audio and sound. Um, and, yeah, I think it's just kind of easier to kind of bring the microphone into kind of strange and intimate places than it is with a camera. Um, and then what about just being now? You know, I feel like the whole resurgence of audio stories and stuff like that, especially with, like, you know, what is it? You know, Serial kind of made, like, a huge wave with uh, podcasts and audio telling stories that was, like, resurgence from like the 50s and stuff like that and now yeah. you are equally a part of that whole wave is it how does that feel as far as being saying also just as yeah. like notoriety with you you and yourself and that kind of celebrityism in some extent and working within that yeah the celebrity part hasn't really touched me so much <laughs> but uh you know partly because you know we do work that is really about putting the subjects front and center but the the podcast boom has been amazing i mean like i you know i've worked in public radio for 20 years and there have been various kind of public radio booms as well, kind of a golden age of public radio, and that's that's been great. But suddenly, with podcasts, a couple things are happening. One, you're getting a much younger audience that wouldn't go to radio on their own, and um, it's also you know we're no longer in the in the in the clock and the kind of the structures of a show, like All Things Considered or something on public radio. So they're all it's like it's like. It's like punk music all over. It's like everyone is just doing whatever they want and it's experimenting and it's like zines. And it's an amazing, amazing time. I think that time is starting to shift now. You know, there's so many, every company and every corporation and every media outlet has their own podcast now. So it's starting to be a lot more kind of corporate and a lot more kind of solidified. But there's still this incredible kind of punk rock spirit about podcasts that's amazing. And for us, it's incredible because we get to do our big public radio documentaries that get heard by a whole bunch of people, and then we can do the podcast versions that are, can be a little bit more experimental, and we can really talk to our own audience and have kind of a more intimate relationship with our audience. So we kind of get to do both things at once. Can you now, kind of finishing off, kind of talk about the future of where you want to kind of take you, your company, or just your work in, in the audio field, or where do you kind of see yourself going? doing the more or less the same thing or kind of I feel like we're going to keep doing the same thing we're doing. I mean like we uh, you know there's such a there's a bigger audience for audio now with podcasts. Uh but for me what's really important is also reaching people who aren't expecting our stories. And I like when those stories air in the news context and all things considered. I like when they air on the podcast. And for me it's important that you know I, I think of myself more as a journalist than as a storyteller or as a documentarian, because I think these stories, you know, they, they, it's important that they are true and accurate and fair, especially today. It's so important that we can trust whatever sources of information we're getting. And I think that's just, you know, this is like a way to experiment with different kinds of journalism, giving people tape recorders, doing historical documentaries that reflect where we are today. So we're gonna keep doing what we're doing, and. Hopefully there's still an audience for it and funding for it and need for it. I think there will be.
Joe Richmond continues to host and produce his own podcast series, Radio Diaries, which you can listen to on all the podcast services. It's an incredibly insightful show that really allows interviews to take the center stage and allow the subject of the show to really take precedent. Blindside is a sandwich community TV podcast. Subscribe to us on your favorite platform or visit us directly at www.sandwichcommunitytv.org so you can stay up to date with all the newest content. Thanks for listening.